So, so lovely to, to, to meet you. My name's Peter, for those people who are new here. Nice to meet you. Uh, I serve here just like the other elders do. Uh, they happen to give me a little bit of extra time off a normal job to do that, though. So I'm a teaching elder here at uh, Soul Church. Um, really, really uh, keen to get into this uh, little series. Uh, not keen because I am good at it or a paragon of the spiritual disciplines and someone for you to emulate in all these ways, but so that we can walk this journey together on a path of, of blessing and of goodness for ourselves. Um, so really great that you're here this particular week because we're going to kick this off together. Um, Matthew 28. Matthew 28 verse 19 is kind of, or 18 through 20, is kind of paradigmatic for Christians, right? This is, this is like the beginning of everything, the beginning of Christianity. Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so that, that sets the scene for everything that Christians are supposed to do, to make disciples. And being a disciple meant something particular back in that day. And I just wonder what you think, though, when you, think, when you say to your, like, I'm assuming you say to your mates, yeah, I follow Jesus. What do you mean by that? Like, what actual things are you thinking when you say, I follow Jesus? What activities? Not conceptually, I align myself with Jesus, I like the name Christianity, I go to church on Sunday, but no, well, I would go to church on Sunday. That is a specific thing, isn't it? What specific things do you think of, do you mean when you tell your friends that you follow Jesus? Well, we want to make sure that we're doing it how Jesus meant us to do it. And so that's kind of the point of this series, is we're going to look at Jesus himself. How did he walk? And we're going to try and follow that. Like, it's kind of simple in a way. And maybe it seems strange that it's a, that's sort of not exactly the way we always teach. We're going to look at Jesus, look at how he walked, and we're going to try and do the same thing. Should be pretty simple. Now, uh, kick us off. Um, uh, a bloke named James K.A. Smith in his book, Desiring the Kingdom, he says that for Christians, education isn't the goal, the formation of a whole person is. So for, for this guy particularly, he's thinking our hearts and our desires, what we love, it's about where we set our hearts. When we're thinking, to, to, you know, we've got someone who's become a Christian, what do we have to do to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded them? It's not about giving them a, a, a textbook, it's about forming a being who loves God more than anything else. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also, says Jesus. So I think James K. Smith is kind of on a, on, a, on a true thing here. And that makes discipleship inherently formative rather than just informative. And so that raises questions about how we do it. Our traditional methods. I mean, since the Enlightenment and the Reformation, uh, we've been thinking very hard. All the top Christian thinkers, they're thinking very hard about how we think about God. And they had to do that a little bit straight after Jesus had left to go to heaven. They're sort of trying to understand, hold on, what just happened here? And they're working that all out together as they, as they mull on Jesus' words. But in the time in between that, sort of from the third, maybe the fourth to the 15th century, the greatest Christian thinkers weren't so much thinking, what's the true thought? What's right doctrine? What's, what's the, 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 the letter of exactly who God is and how He is and how many angels you can fit on a head of a pin, though they did a little bit of that. But they're asking, what kind of life would produce godliness? 
What rhythms of my life would change my heart? What practices could I be doing that would engage and energize my mind? And what training would disciple my behaviors? And this sort of more broad definition of what it means to to follow Jesus draws our attention to the fact that, well, our spiritual disciplines, if they're going to do that, they're going to need to involve our bodies. They're going to need to involve me as a whole person. Whatever they are, these spiritual disciplines must involve our bodies. I mean, Jesus had a body, right? Jesus has a body. He has no experience of human life except that lived in a body. Just as we have no life except the life that we live in our bodies. And, and there's a, a, a particular um, way that when we don't act as if religion sort of affects all of us, our whole self, including even down as far as my physical flesh, we end up making less of Jesus and God than we ought to. I mean, tell, tell me if this is true of your experience of life. The people that you're sharing the gospel with, the people that came to your mind when Benjamin says, who, who are your friends and family you'd love to see know Jesus? Those people, when they come to mind, when you're talking to them, just chatting, hanging out, do, do you get a sense that they think all of life is religion and spirituality? Or do they think, well, no, there's life. And then there's, then there's this, some people do the religion thing, some people don't. It's, one, it's like a club that you can join. It's a bit on the side. And hopefully, that bit doesn't affect this bit, right? Hopefully, your religious stuff doesn't affect, actually, the real bits of life, right? That's the world we live in. And it's not very, it's, I mean, it's very easy for that to be us, too. In fact, I catch myself like this. That doesn't seem to be what Jesus is talking about. And certainly the first people who followed Jesus, they had to get up and stand. They were literally walking after Jesus, walking around with Jesus. They had to do that in order to follow him or they wouldn't be where he is. Post-enlightenment, though, through to our new tech age, our culture, we almost think of ourselves as minds, spirits, with a body machine kind of thing. But, you know, we can build a cybernetic arm these days where people's minds can control the electronics in there. And so, you know, I mean, it really doesn't matter what kind of body you've got. You know, one day Elon will upload all, us all into the web and we'll all exist in the cloud. Um, our consciousness will be there. But there's one group of people in our world who actually don't really live like that. And that's the advertising industry, because they know the truth. They've got a lot of motivation to find out the truth about what changes human behaviors. It's to do with our bodies and our passions. They know that sex sells. They don't appeal to the intellect. They appeal to the body and the passions. But anyway, we'll get into that into later, into later weeks. But the, the, um, this great quote is a guy named John Mark Comer. He wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he says, to exclude religion from our bodies is to exclude religion from our life. Because if the way we speak about the gospel doesn't involve our whole bodies, then Christianity becomes alienated from our everyday existence. I mean, what do the, you got, this is an interesting question, right? What do the Christian spiritual disciplines have to say about your running training? I mean, what, what, what does Jesus and the Christian discipline have to say about how you do it, why you do it, when to do it? And the very fact that I suspect most of you, and certainly me, if I, when I'm going to soccer training, I'm not thinking, 
okay, so because Jesus is real, so I've got to go about my training this way. I want to do, do this bit of this training in this way because this is who Jesus is. I'm not even remotely thinking that. I'm just going to soccer training. I'm not thinking about it. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, it's not like you have to think consciously about every little tiny thing you do to be kind of exhausted from that. But, but do you see how, like, it almost feels like you'd need clever preacher's tricks to come up with any idea about how Jesus, following Jesus and Christian spiritual discipline would change my running training. And that's just because we never think about it. There are separate areas of life for us, and our whole self isn't necessarily caught up in this Jesus thing. Now, our culture is sort of actually picking up on this falseness of the, of the dualism. In the 70s, there weren't a lot of books around on fasting, I hear. I was reading um, a guy who wrote a book about Christian spiritual disciplines, and he says, I don't have any books on fasting. But then I read the book, the guy who's writing books on Christian spiritual disciplines these days, and he's like, oh, I, got, I got five on my desk, and I didn't even try. And he says, there's advanced psychology now, there's... there's uh, um, Meditation, mindfulness, routine is a big deal. uh, Retreats are a thing to restore our wellness. There's an emphasis on rhythms in our life in the broader cultural moment. So we're in a moment starting to become conscious of these kinds of things, and yet it's reactive. We're realizing that we're getting anxious and realizing we need to attend to our body as well and the link between these two things. And yet there is this sense for the broader world that this is a medication, a a self-serving way of dealing with our anxiety, not a means to foster Christ-likeness. And so what this means is that Christian gospel affects all of who we are. Now, you might be thinking, hold on, did Jesus really expect this? Did Jesus really expect uh, that he would change everything about me, that it would be normal for me and weird if a Christian didn't, have all of their life changed because of becoming a follower of Him. Um, I want to suggest that He did think this, and partly because we need training. Now, I want you to imagine um, that you, I mean, we're going to go AFL because that's what people down here really, you know, sorry, I'm from Queensland, sorry about that. Uh, you've, you've, got the, you've, you've caught the ball, you've taken the mark 45 yards out, you've got to t- step back and you've got to take this kick from 45 yards out. Slight angle, breeze is coming across about five knots this way, not too bad, but still the crowd's cheering and you're there and you've got to make the distance and you've got to get the accuracy. And what's going to give you confidence that you'll be able to do it? What makes that person there think, yeah, I'm going to nail this? It's if they were a training not just last week, not just this year, but every year for the last 20 years of their life. It's as if they've done this a million times before. It's as if their muscles are actually aligned for it. It's as if, as if they've been and done the physio rehab from that knee injury. It's if, it's if everything actually in the lead-up to the big game, well, it's actually, it, start, it started in pre-season, didn't it? And we get sometimes, I think, to the, to the big moments of the Christian life and that person says, oh, so, you know, I just wonder what life's all about. And you're like, oh, 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 this is the moment. This is, this is like the Jesus moment. This is when I've got to sort of tell the gospel and share it. And like, oh, so, and, and you're excited and don't know what to say. 
well, of course, you get to the big moments and it's really hard to know what to say. Or maybe it's a big moment where someone speaks against Jesus and you've got to step up. I mean, this was the theme pretty much of the conference yesterday, the City Bible Forum conference of being willing to stand up for true things that you believe uh, despite it being hard to. And the question is not, are you ready for the big moment? Because how could you be ready for the big moment if you didn't do the training in the first place? If it, or if you weren't picking up the small moments? If we weren't picking up the habits of the Christian disciplines, the habits of, speak, in this in particular case, speaking the truth when there's pressure on. We've got to start speaking the truth when there's not much pressure on, don't we? Um, Andrew Cameron yesterday used the, uh, a different analogy, but the same thing. He, he had one of those, you know those dumbbells? Apparently they're now a thing where like, you can click it and like, some of the weight comes off, so you've got like, adjustable. So he's like, uh, here's, what, here's what I'm talking about. It's a 5.5 Ks with my dumbbells, but I can t- clicks, clicks it off and drops a bit of the weight. And he's like, but I had to start out at 2 kgs because I was pretty weak. And that's, the, that's the, the disciplines of the Christian life. We start at 2 kgs. We don't start as great heroes of the faith. Maybe we'll never be great heroes of the faith, but that's not the point. The point is actually the walking after Jesus. Journey. The continued living with and for and in Him. Now, the interesting thing about this is that, that was, that's not because we're weak, actually. Even though Andrew, Andrew said, oh, I've realized I'm a weak man. I've got to start that way. It's not because he was weak that he, that he would do that. Jesus needed training. Did you notice that that's actually how Jesus lived himself? He was not prepared for his ministry until he had been prepared for it. We just went through early chapters of Matthew and saw a whole bunch of those things. We saw, and we, we saw, and we're going to see much more of as we go through this series, Jesus living a life of solitude for moments, of silence for moments, of fasting for moments, of feasting for moments. And he had a set of disciplines in life that enabled him in the big moments when he's facing Pharisees and the Garden of Gethsemane and a Roman cross. So it's worth just stopping and thinking, not to mistake Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisees' hypocrisy and their uh, fetishization almost of rules and discipline for Jesus not being disciplined himself. He just did it out of a heart of a love for God and to maintain and to bring himself back into relationship with God. Now, it's not just Jesus, Paul. I think, Paul, hold on, was, did he talk about that sort of thing much? Well, Paul's entire pre-Christian life was discipline. And then he spent years, once he became a Christian in Arabia, to sort that out, pull it all together, reorient his disciplines towards Jesus Christ. He's the guy who writes in his letters, I beat my body and make it my slave so that it'll be prepared, like an athlete is ready for the job of ministry that I'm doing. And he's the guy who says to his apprentice, hey, Got, uh, physical training's got some value, but like I want you every day, you've got to be godliness training because that's got value for everything. Notice that including the godliness doesn't just have value for the other things. The godliness had value even for his physical training. All of life. We won't just magically be able to do things on the spot. Paul and Jesus prepared themselves for the big moments. So, that's what we're going to do. We are going in this series to be looking very, very carefully at Jesus. We are going to um, particularly be asking this question of, how are we going to walk 
as Jesus walked. That's a, a, almost a, a better, trans, well, it's definitely, it's the, it's the more literal translation. The metaphor is just that uh, whoever wants to, claims to live in Christ Jesus must walk like Jesus walked. That's, that's, that's what it means. We're going to watch Jesus walk. What did he do? How did he handle himself? What did he, what did he do to train his mind, body, and soul to be prepared for the ministry that God had for him? Now, I, um, I uh, can be a little bit skeptical when I approach the spiritual disciplines. Actually, I'm even more skeptical if someone else comes to me talking about spiritual disciplines, because then it's not off my own bat. It's like, oh, I don't like this. It feels like pressure. Uh, and there's lots of different reasons that we may feel that. I, I want to mention just two. You might have a fear of legalism as we start to think about things like spiritual discipline. Now, Legalism is like basically a Christian swear word. I don't know if you're new to Christianity, but like, like if you're particularly, if you're a Protestant, like if you get accused of legalism, like, whoa, this is like anti-gospel, this is a big deal. And the disciplines can seem a little bit like that. I'll address that concern in a minute. But there's a second reason as well that we might feel a little bit to start the Christian spiritual disciplines. And uh, it was, Chris summed this up in nice words uh, the other day when we caught up. He said, when we, we might start doing something like reading the Bible and then just think, oh, this should feel better. This doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel easy. This feels hard. This feels dry. And it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. Maybe you're thinking, well, this just proves it's not doing anything and this is dumb. Or maybe you're thinking, well, if this feels bad, what does it say about my faith? Maybe this actually is a me problem, and I don't want to have to face it as a me problem. So it can be easier not to try. Don't you think? I, I, I know that I was talking to, to one bloke from church here, and we were talking about setting up a schedule for life, and we both admitted there's a reason we don't want to set up a schedule for life, because we're pretty sure we're not going to be able to keep to it, and then we'll feel like failures. And so why <laughs> it was a really dumb idea to start that, because then we just look dumb for me, I mean, I know what's going to happen when I go to the gym, right? I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but in my head, my head knows exactly what it thinks is going to happen when I go to the gym, is that I'll have no idea what I'm doing. That part will definitely be accurate. Is that I'll look very, very weak compared to anyone else there, including probably most of the girls who are rocking up on the weights. Yep, that's exactly what's going to happen. And I won't know the etiquette. I won't know how to use the machines. I'll use them wrong and someone will just be like, I'll just be on like one of those YouTube videos where someone like, yeah, takes a video of someone using a machine wrong and I'll be that guy on the internet forever. And I don't want to try it out and find out that I suck. Have it confirmed, at least. Now, in answer to this, hear the words of Jesus. Um, we've got the... Uh, uh, oh, goodness gracious, that was the one that I was telling you about, Lachlan, that I said there's got to be one that's not there, it's not right. I want to read out to you uh, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Feel free to grab it in your Bibles, grab it on a phone. This is... Uh, a delightful passage. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take upon my yoke, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I'm lowly, I'm humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's not that there's not going to be a yoke. It's not that there's not going to be a path to walk. But my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It will be rest for your souls. Why? 
Well, we're going to explore that a little bit more um, through the series as well. Um, partly we'll dig in some this uh, beautiful book, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's a delightful, uh, very extended exploration of those three verses. It's about the observation that Jesus says the, he only describes his heart in one place. The Bible, this is it, and it's what is his heart? It's gentle and lowly. Um, but there are a couple of bits we can talk about just today. One of the reasons that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light is actually because the life of sin isn't actually full of much life. Do you remember um, one of the things that we talked about a little bit on the camp, for those of you who were there with Jeremy, was that um, life of sin is actually a punishment. See, as God, as God uh, sees their evil, he, one of the punishments for God's sin is, is that, I'll let you keep sinning. I'm going to let you sit in that life, in that muck, in that way of being, in the anxiety and the fear and the broken relationships and the, and the, the self-injury and the, all of the bad things that it does. It's so, so interesting. There's a, one philosopher who said the road to hell is a very narrow gate, <laughs> sort of deliberately trying to play on this idea, saying it's actually really hard to live a life of sin. It's not fun. It's not beautiful. It's not joyful. And yet, like elite athletes go to trainings, humans keep going back to sin for more punishment. And Jesus says, no, come to me. There's a better way. There's a way for, of joyful living, of an easy yoke. I'll give you rest. My yoke's easier than trying to, to live the life of sin and get so into it and try to find fulfillment there when there's none to be found. But also it's easier than... Well, these Pharisees that Jesus was dealing with around this passage who were desperately trying to be good enough without Jesus and desperately trying to say, no, God, I'm going to earn my way up to you. Don't, you don't, no, don't need your help, Jesus. I don't need to be forgiven. I'm going to earn my way to you, God. And as Peter says in Acts, that burden was far too heavy for us to carry. Jesus says, come to me. Don't be the prodigal son going off and finding fulfillment elsewhere. Don't be the older son, for those of you who know the story, who wants to, wants to earn his way, but rather come to me and I will give you rest. Now, I've got a question for you. Um, I want you to stop and think. Are you growing in godliness? P- pure self-evaluation. No judgment in any way. Just You're just working out, hold on, am I growing in godliness? Pure thought. Now, as we deal with that one, I'm going to be a little bit cheeky. What is godliness? <laughs> Um, it's actually really funny. There's a as I was just randomly clicking around, uh, I think it was I think it was just the Wikipedia page for it or something. Godliness is a vague word used to describe a Greek word that we don't know quite how to translate. And it was God, that's that's true. That's actually kind of right. But I just never heard it been as boldly said as that. And yet we talk about it meaning. Like what do we talk? We talk about meaning moral uprightness, right? Like doing the right thing, ethical goodness, don't we? I think generally use godliness to mean that. Well, it's not. It's not what it means. This word Eusebia is a. It's a worship word. The the U at the front means good. Like it's the same bit. The good. The good in the the word for the gospel. Good news. Uh, it's that good bit at the start, and then worship. Good. good like worshiping the right thing. Worshiping that right. Thing, that right one, that right God, well, the way that God wants it to be. It's, it's, a, it's not a question of, doing, uh, uh, of meeting standards and following rules. Good worship, godliness means Godwardness. Am I, am I oriented to Him? Am I listening to Him? Am I, am I, am I uh, trusting Him? Am I bowing the knee to Him? And so, these spiritual disciplines, as we're doing them, as, as we're growing in godliness, 
We're not, we're, the, we're not thinking, I'm growing in my ethical standards. We're going, am I Godward? Is my life lived to honor Jesus? Is my life lived thankfully in joy with Jesus? Is, am, am I enjoying the easy yoke? Or at the very least, is it slowly getting lighter as I take more of my sins to Him and more of my inadequacy to Him? That's what we want to grow in. See, the spiritual disciplines have been spoken of like a, uh, like a trellis uh, at times. Uh, you'll know uh, this beautiful John 15 passage where Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me because I am the vine. You are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing, says Jesus. Now, Jesus isn't stupid. He knows, and it spoke about how the Pharisees do all sorts of legalistic, righteous things. It's not that he's saying you can't do ethically good things. But we can't be Godward, truly, from our hearts unless we're in Him. And so, the spiritual disciplines have been described in the way, it's a good metaphor for how to think of them, as like a trellis, like a trellis for the vine. So, if you you sort of know what... um, vines are like you I, I mean this is something probably should go chat to Matt Griggs about how this works I've seen some trellises on some some stuff in the fields that he's got um, but my understanding of it is is that these trellises support the branches to be in the right spot to get the right amount of nutrients from the vine so that they bear much fruit spiritual disciplines are not something that take us away from reliance on Jesus the point of them should actually be that as we do them, they are, they're like the wire on the bonsai tree putting it where it should be or the trellis for the grapevine holding the branches where they need to be to be going to the vine to get their nourishment, to get the sap. I told you I'd, I'd mention why the spiritual disciplines, we shouldn't be scared of them, that they're legalistic. Why not? Because the, it's the fear of legalism that should drive us towards the spiritual disciplines because the spiritual disciplines are, what dri- are meant to be driving us towards Christ. To do everything in Him, from Him, through Him, for Him. Because we can do nothing without Him. I, um, I had a chat with uh, Mark Powell. So you guys, some of you guys know Mark is the pastor at Cornerstone Church just uh, down the road. And um, we were talking about the problem of evaluating our conversations or even like some sort of bit of service for God we'd done or something like that and just how it felt like there was something wrong with um, the standard ways we'd sort of always done that, where we're thinking about the results that came out of it or things like that. And I won't bore you with the whole conversation, but this great line came out of the conversation where we said they would both almost come to the same conclusion independently that the way we were going to evaluate a a ministry we'd done, a conversation we'd had, say, was it a good conversation, was, did I do it in Christ? Did I do it with Christ? Was He with me there? Was I conscious of Him? Was I trying to honour Him? Was I thankful for Him? How present was He with me in that moment? And how present was I with Him and with the people with me there in that moment? Did I do it with Christ? Now, we were saying that because there's lots of times when we don't. We're not talking about this being great, great uh, examples of this. But it's a good definition of godliness in the biblical sense of what the word means, of good worship, isn't it? That everything that we do is actually from Him, to Him, for Him, in Him. Because nothing we can do is truly good unless it is that, that thing that we are built for. So, uh, I want to ask that question of you again that I asked but didn't get you to go any further with. 
am I growing in godliness? And the next question to ask yourself out of that is, well, why would I be? Like, if you evaluate your life, if I evaluate my life, why would I be growing in godliness? What practice in my life would lead to more godliness? Like, uh, there is a lot going against you and me in terms of trying to be godly, to live for and with and in Jesus, isn't there? Like, like there is, uh, the Bible's pretty clear, sin, the world, and the devil. Pretty, pretty nasty trio to be against you. It's hard. There are spiritual powers that raid against you. There is the habits of the world out there that want you to forget that God even exists and and contradict that, The, the, the sin that gets into our hearts. And then even, there's one more thing, our habits as well. Our habits. You see, um... John, John Mark Comer, I like this line that he said. He actually said, everything we do is a spiritual discipline. just might take you in one of two directions. Everything we do is a spiritual discipline. It changes us. Um, John Orkberg Jr. says, uh, habits eat good intentions for breakfast. And I'm a good intentions guy. I've got great intentions. <laughs> oh, man, if you, if you guys knew all of the thoughts in my head that I had about the things that I would do to bless you and to try and serve you and to work at being a, a, a great pastor for you and to do things to make your lives better and to, to bring you closer to Jesus, like, man, I have awesome good intentions. Our habits eat good intentions for breakfast. What, if we look at our lives, would you expect, if we think about the habits we've got, would you expect that those habits would be making me more Godward? Or would you be expecting those habits might actually be embedding me into a different lifestyle, a different person, to becoming a different person? All right. Um, just going to share a couple of things to say that these, the spiritual disciplines are not, and even this tonight's talk is not, th- tonight's talk is not a stick for you to beat yourself up with. And you'll see why as we go through, um, mainly because it's about, it's about uh, relying on Jesus Christ. So don't be evaluating yourself based on all of these things in order just to hit yourself with a stick. Jesus doesn't ask you to do that. Um, don't use it as a stick to beat up someone else with. This is not the, the moment to sit there and say, well, yeah, I know this person, their life's pretty spiritually undisciplined. Uh, that's not what it's for. And it's also, as we think about our lives and whether, where, what we think our habits are actually leading us towards, uh, this is not for you to say, and that's how I know God loves me. Or if my habits aren't what they should be, oh, that's a reason to think God does not love me. These are habits of the life that Christ chose, and we're just following Him in them. If, if, you, if you're here for the first time, or here for any time, and you don't know Jesus, and you don't understand or know who He is, He is God come to this earth to be everything that you needed, every, to, to, to fulfill it, tick every box that God could have for you, and to draw you into His kingdom, to have you bow the knee and say, yes, I'll have you as my king, and have Him say, I will make everything good for you between you and God. He is not asking you to be perfect in order to be God's friend. He is giving you that free offer. But these disciplines are the way that we say, wow, how good is that guy? I'm going to go, I want to walk with him. I want to walk how he walked. He looked like he was a happy guy, a joyful guy. I want to walk after him. And this is how we train our souls to do that. So, Soul Church, for our week, we're going to pray now. We're going to pray for a season of, of, of discernment. The application for this week is to reflect, to write, that we'd be able to rightly see ourselves and be prepared to... Think about the spiritual disciplines that God's got for us. Uh, will you join me? I'm just going to lead us in a little moment of prayer for exactly that.
Let's pray. Father, we pray now, thanking you for your spirit. Thanking, Holy Spirit, you for the way that you teach us good things. And yet, our, our habits, sin, the world and the devil. Lord, there are ways that we're being formed by the things around us. And so, Lord, we pray that as we just together discuss and, and think this stuff through, Father, that we'd be really just able to be quite honest. Honest, honest where we're worried people will think that we're talking ourselves up. Uh, if we think we're going too well, or honest also by saying things that might make people too concerned about us. Like, oh, I don't want them to be so concerned about where I'm at spiritually, but may we, Lord, be able to be to see ourselves wisely and truly. Spirit of truth, guide us in that. And Father, now as we turn to, to praise you, to praise your son Jesus for what he has done in restoring us to friendship with you, Father, help us to see him clearly, even more than ourselves clearly, uh, over these next nine weeks, that we might be able to see exactly what he was like, as you would have us see him, so that we might walk in the same kind of step as he walked, that we might keep in step with the Spirit and walk like he did. And we pray this in Jesus' name, so that we might be this people who follow after him and look like him for his honour. Amen.